We were bored. Hey everybody, it's Temple of Nerd. Uh, this week with an overtly musical intro for some reason, but we can't help ourselves, can we? Let's face it, we are just... I know the like reason that. why. Why is that? Because Scooby-Doo. That's, That's why. why. God damn it. Chris and Lewis here uh, in the living room spin-off of the tag game. Here to talk about a movie we saw this week. Now this is an immediate warning. We've got to start the episode with this because my God, there'll be people who won't listen. But basically, (laughs) (laughs) there are lots of people who don't listen, but there'll be people who won't listen to this. Specifically, guys, we are here today to talk about Captain America, The Winter Soldier. Here in the UK, it is already out. We have both seen it. We are dying to speak about it. But be warned. This... Warned. Warned. Be warned, a popular character who's there to warn you that this will be... That's not a thing. (laughs) Could be... Uh, This is going to be a spoiler-heavy review. We are going to be talking about Captain America the Winter Soldier in depth, revealing things that you might not want to know going in. Now, there are spoiler hounds out there who like to know stuff about things before they go and see it. If you're one of those people, stick around. If you've already seen the movie, stick around. But if you don't want any of it ruined, this is where you get off, all right? You get off the podcast bus. And go and listen to something else. Go and listen to the Nerdist podcast or something for 10 minutes. Well, don't, because they're very well produced and you might stick with them. Um, go and listen to one of our... <laughs> we will pale in comparison. Go, go listen to one of our older things first and then meet. So, um, yeah. Captain America, The Winter Soldier. Lewis Ryan. You saw this movie on... Was it last... Wednesday or Thursday? The day after it came out, something like that. Thursday, Thursday, Friday. Yeah. I caught it um, Saturday morning. And my God, it, off the, out of the back, guys, just saying... I'm saying, yeah, I'm, saying, I'm saying that as though I'm like telling people for the first time, but like we just said, if you're listening now, you, you, you've probably seen it. That is probably the strongest solo Marvel outing. Yeah. One, one, word, one word review for this film. Oh, go on. Yes. <laughs> just Yes. Um, basic rundown of this happy movie is we're following on Cap's story post-Avengers, getting used to the modern world. Well, to be fair, he's had two years, so I imagine he's up to scratch as much as he can be at the moment. Um, he's got that cute little notebook. That was bloody funny at the beginning. He has a little notebook full of notes. I laughed out loud. It was amazing. There's a lot of British TV references. Sean Connery was on there. Yeah. That's something he wants to research. What's a Sean Connery? Says Steve Rogers. (laughs) Well... He's a womanizer and a wife beater and a Scottish Spaniard. <laughs> and a very overrated actor. Yes. <laughs> Could you believe that the last uh, live action motion picture I did before I retired was the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, having turned down the role of uh, Morpheus in The Matrix? Genuine fact. And <laughs> his last movie. Um, <laughs> his last movie. <laughs> Oh, Christ, that he's made is a Scottish uh, animation studio original called Sir Billy. And Sir Billy of who? Oh, well, not that exciting, unfortunately. Not even that curmudgeon It's awful. It is so bad. It was a little short, um, short comedy, and then they went and made a full feature out of it. Um, you'll barely find any information about it online. You'll find an IMDb page and a few trailers, The guys. Scottish government has tried to bury it. Oh, it's <laughs> awful. It is awful. In fact, you know, it, it's just... The thing is, it, it's good for an independent animation studio, but they big it up like it's going to be... Um, the next Toy Story. Yeah, no, basically, yeah. It's it's really painful. And, and Alan Cummings is in it. And let's face it, Alan Cummings chooses a good movie once every billion years. So, he's not a barometer to go off. We I mean, look at how many different film posters it has. There's the DVD artwork, right? Um, there's a different poster, which is all action-packed. Play got... along at home, kids. Google yeah, Sir yeah. Billy Google. with an I. Sir Billy with an I. Sean Connery is Sir Billy. And it's got all those action-packed voiceovers on the trailer. It, it really isn't that brilliant. It's, it's pretty damn It's not awful. that brilliant. It's not Billy Hill. Let's talk about a film that is brilliant, though. Or yeah. at least brilliant. Or at Captain least... in America, The Winter Soldier. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Pretty just... much the best Marvel film outside of The Avengers. You say that, not as good as Sir Billy, in my opinion. 
Like Sir Billy's obviously Sir Billy's a new a new height. We've got to try and yeah. reach Sir Billy now. There's, um, there's one thing about this film that kind of worried me was that before it had even been released, before critics had seen anything, the Russo brothers, Anthony and Joe, had been brought on to get involved with the Cats America three. Uh, Marvel announced before we'd even people had seen the second one. Now, when you hear about these things happening in the film world, the studio is usually trying to hype up the film by going, "No, oh, it's so good, we brought them back," and it's like, "No, the or, film ends up being bad." Or the team themselves have bent over enough for the directors, yeah. the, for the uh, the executives. The executives have gone like, "We'll keep these guys around. They do what we say." Yeah. Um, so, which again doesn't sound great because it means that they're being compromised by the studio input rather than their own storytelling. I think our worries were completely without reason now that we've seen it. Definitely. It had... The way I I described it was that it had the intent and it had the feel of a Joss Whedon story and character-driven and very visual film. However, it had this touch of commercialism in the right kind of way because this is the sort of film that in the in the way that the Nolan Batman films work, at least the first and second, yeah. no, more, more more Dark Knight, basically, this is a Captain America film. This is a Marvel comic book film that just happens to have a superhero in it or a couple. This could be a Bourne sequel that oh, happens Christ, to have yeah. a superpowered person. It has that <clears throat> level of um, sort of good proper action violence, good sort of political spy intrigue and, and thrilling stuff that happens to have our favourite Captain in it. Yeah. Well, that, that was the Russo's main sort of inspiration as well. And the other reason why Robert Redford was cast in the movie as well, because of his history with this. It, it was basically their love letter to the 70s uh, crime and espionage thrillers. And my God, they deliver on it. And they you deliver get on it hard. Definitely. And it is so good. But that's the thing. That's what's nice about it. The, the reason we love Batman the Animated Series is because it's out of, it's out of time. It is an amalgam of different time periods. So it becomes timeless. And I think this film's like that. It has the sensibilities of those 70s espionage thrillers with a hero from the 40s with, like, a modern-day angle. Like, it's just a nice little blend of different things. Um, Robert Redford, brilliant. But not the only villain. My God, Marvel are going for it. The amount of bad guys thrown into this was so good because it handled so well. They didn't oversaturate it. Um, again, spoiler alert, but we already warned you. Um, crossbones, man. <clears throat> Freaking crossbones. Not decked out in the gear yet, but the way that he's left at the end of the film all burnt up and everything, he's totally coming back in armour with the skull painted on it soon. Um, oh, my God. Right, Winter Soldier. We all knew that one. Armin Zola handled very well. Handled as a, a 70s supercomputer. So he's not a he's not a Krang imitator walking around with his yeah. face and a belly. Like, he's his own thing. Um really well performed by Toby Jones considering he was just a creepy voice like very well done he brought a um, lot he brought a lot of weight to it yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, I think he's, he's visually I think for a moment he, uh, briefly he went to Soldier as a flashback doesn't he and you see Zola sort of yeah. like speaking to him but it's only it's literally 20 seconds if that um so good on Toby Jones for bringing the thunder with his voice alone um Batrock the Leaper Batrock the Leaper is in this movie and he is badass. How did this happen, Lewis? It's, How did this happen? He's t- in the film, he's titled as, as Georges Batroc. And he's played by Georges Saint-Pierre. Yeah. A very muscular, very intimidating-looking Frenchman who goes toe-to-toe with Cap. I believe. Like he, he, yeah. He's, like, he's like a lightweight and, champion. Yeah, and, 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 he, and he looks the part. Like He he looks like he can keep, keep up with Captain America, basically. Um... I mean, we even get a few sort of uh, twists. I mean, in fact, we'll mention the the, the Tychula villain as well quickly. The yeah. Winter Soldier himself, um, played by Sebastian Stan, who, of course, is Bucky Barnes. That's the bit that's got me. So many people are like... Obviously, it's played as a twist in the movie because it is to the characters. But so many people get pissed off when you say that it's Bucky. Because they go, oh, he spoilt it now. And it's like, right, two things. One, did you really care that much about Bucky as a casual film go when you went to see the original Captain America? And two... You know that Sebastian Stan's playing him, and he was the winter. He was he was Bucky in the first one, yeah. like two and two together. One thing I will say though, physically, he is a lot more impressive in this. You oh, get Christ, to see yeah. his bulging muscles. <laughs> um, but her ge- rippling bright, he, he's bright, genuinely oh, unnerving in this film. Like he he plays the sort of 
the intimidating sort of uh, gestures, the way he looks at people. He does a lot of eye acting. He does a lot with his eyes, the way you're like, this guy's pretty deadly. You, this you, guy's you out spotted, to kill. You spotted something I didn't actually, uh, which is a really good point. They've gone the Dark Knight route with the score in the sense that when the Winter Soldier was on screen, there was a very specific scoring technique they used where everything was just not quite right and it was yeah, like jarring. His, his it was, music it was, was like your scream. ears ringing after an explosion. Like it just didn't feel right. Yeah. And and, and pain was a coming. Oh, it was so good. Um, we saw Evan's favourite agent after Coulson, of course, uh, Jasper Sitwell, uh, turn into a bastard. Oh, right. Okay. Again, you've already watched the movie if you're listening to this. If you haven't, shame on you. You should just go. So Hydra's alive and well. Uh, and most of S.H.I.E.L.D. is made up of Hydra. <laughs> Amazing! Like, they're that deep-rooted in their plan that they've been able to be undercover this entire time and not, like, fault, falter because they know that ultimately they're going to win. Terrifying. And amongst them, Sitwell, who they, they were obviously subtly setting up to sort of be the next Coulson. Like, the way he, he was showing up in all the different films. He's an Avengers. I think Avengers is the first one he appears in it. Um, uh, he's in... Uh, one of the... He's, he's in um, the one-shot... Oh, God, I can't remember what it's called now, but the one Item where... Item 47? Well, no, no, before that, he's in the one where you find out why Stark was the one who went to see General Ross about Avengers Initiative. They, oh, they, they send, they send, oh, it's on... It's on um, Iron Man 2? No, Thor... It's on Thor, that one. Um, basically, it's them two in the donut bar from Iron Man 2 discussing the fact that Coulson's been asked to approach General Ross about recruit, recruiting Blonsky for the Avengers initiative. Okay. Uh, Abomination. And they're like, it basically Coulson thinks it's a bad call because he heard firsthand from people what, what really went down during that fight. So he, he's like, we've got a sense of when he's basically going to screw this up. Like someone who's going to piss General Ross off. Like someone who we send in with the intention to get Blonsky, but who will undoubtedly screw it up. So that's why they send Stark, because they know yeah. that Ross won't be able to stand him. Um, uh, so that was pretty cool. Because that's the post-credit sequence on Incredible Hulk. Yeah. You see part of that in this, and then it comes with the next day. We sit well and Coulson talking about it, and Coulson's like, yeah, it works. They're like, brilliant. Okay, moving on. Like, it's a really quick one-shot. Because then the next one's um, a funny thing happened on the way to Thor's hammer, which is on the cap Blu-ray. Is that in the supermarket? Uh, yeah, the, the petrol station. Yeah, petrol station, Coulson, yeah. Coulson's the gas. Sorry, the gas station. Coulson's in the gas station. Then he kicks that guy's ass. And again, doesn't have any bearing on anything else. It's yeah. just its own little minute and a half, two minute story. And then with the Avengers onwards, they start getting meatier. And Sitwell is the star of um, Iron Forty Seven, and he's the hero. And we follow him, and we watch him do the job. And it's the same with, um, although I've got to say, it is something that they really missed the boat on. The married couple who they took in at the end of that should have been in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. That would have been the perfect sort of like tie-in. Because that would have been the movies endorsing the TV show instead of the TV show sort of begging at the ankles of the movie saying, can we have some scraps, please? Speaking of which, um, Hydra fails in this movie. Uh... And S.H.I.E.L.D., for the sake of a nobler future, disbands. S.H.I.E.L.D. is no more. Well, this is what I'm confused about. I don't know that it does, because at the end of the film, it all sort of goes topsy-turvy and there's, there's the big battle. But I don't remember whether whether they actually do disband or whether they just mention it's got to go. Because I know Nick Fury's kind of buggered off to Europe on his little spy escapade. But I, I don't think Which is kind of cool, because yeah, the, if I'd, they don't do a Fury one-shot, now, I'll be very upset. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he said himself, Sam Jackson, that his role in Avengers 2 will be nothing more than a cameo. Now, maybe he's just playing it down. Yeah. But they're going oh, to make sense use it now somewhere. after Captain America 2, yeah. to be honest. But I, I don't think I don't think they're going to disband S.H.I.E.L.D. I think they're just going to cut it down and be like, no, no, now it's just the helicarrier team and the H.I.E.L.D. I, yeah, I think it'll be government sanctioned. Like, yeah. There'll be heavy pressure on them. Because at the end of the movie, there was there was a bit with the CIA getting hold of someone. There was a bit with the FBI getting hold of um, Senator Stern from Iron Man 2, who's a freaking Nazi! Nazi gold! Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what it was. It was basically... It's, it's mystic Nazis coming to take over the world. Brilliant. Like, yeah. scary shit. And ties Captain America directly into modern day because immediately his enemy, the threat he was is famous, legendary for dealing with, 
is the threat of the day. He, he thinks he won, and no, he didn't. Well, that's he, the, well, that he he sacrificed himself in theory for, for no nothing. reason. Well, that's the, if I think Zola points that out yeah. as well, doesn't he? But I mean, that's depressing. But also, it's it. This is why he's the man for the job because he dealt with them before and he can deal with them again. And it's like, you go, Cap, you goddamn hero, I'm hey. Uh, but back to the betrayal aspect. Sit well, we, we, he, he was an agent of Shield as well, I believe. I think he was in the pilot somewhere, or he's in one of the other. He's one of the, in one of the early episodes, uh, and then he appeared in. Um, I can't remember if he's in Iron Man three, or if oh god. What was the, no, I can't remember now. Um, he's in the Avengers at one point. Briefly. Yeah, he's in, he's in the Avengers. Yeah. Um, and I I don't know if he's in Thor The Dark World. No, because S.H.I.E.L.D. don't interfere in that one, do they? Because it all happens in London, S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. miss out on it. But um, basically, Sitwell was being sprinkled in there like Coulson was from Iron Man onwards. So all of a sudden in this movie, where we see him again and we're like, oh, sit well, oh, he's in a hostage situation. I hope he gets out all right. Hey, it's our little buddy. It's our little mascot. Oh, yeah. There's probably a Tumblr site dedicated to him. For some really and bad reason. And they like, sit well, you fuck. Oh, God. The bit, with the bit where you find out he's in on it and as well as the center and stuff, you're like, oh, God, this is so deep-rooted. Like, even Nick Fury didn't know. Well, he knew, but he didn't know the... The specific. The, the specific. And he didn't know how deep it went. Yeah. Um... I like how Fury is still untrustworthy even after this. Like, yeah. we know he keeps lying. His secrets have secrets, as they say in the Avengers. Oh, God, yeah. Well, this, this, this is the spy. Like, this is the the guy. This is the guy. Well, well perfectly <laughs> proved. Like, even in this movie, earlier on, there is a reference to him losing his eye over something. Um, we see his little scarred eye as well. But, yeah, but, then later, but then later on, no, it's there. It's just scarred and, and he's got a scar over it but like earlier on he specifically mentions how he lost his eye in a fight to whatever like fighting for this that, and the other uh, <clears throat> I think it's to Robert Rufford to go to Alexander Pierce actually and then it's Alexander Pierce who gets the shot reveal with him taking the eye patch off later off for the for the retinal scan for the computer that was that was bloody sly I love that yeah. like, I bet you've already wiped my thing and they were like yeah and he's like well you didn't because there's another one and it's like, it takes both both eyes it's like you wouldn't have known about that because you think I've got no eye like freaking brilliant um, okay. Black Widow being heavily involved in this oh. as well is a great choice because they, like, like you said to me this feels like a team movie Anthony Mackie described it this week as part of the press as Avengers 1.5 and I yeah. completely agree yeah. Yeah. like it is a team it is a team well uh, it becomes a team it does what Iron Man 3 did really well which is you gave a crap about it even though for 90% of the movie it was Tony in a hoodie and jeans walking around America like, you know, Iron Man was there for set pieces. Same with this movie. Most of the film is spent with Steve and Natasha in civilian clothes, undercover, trying not to get caught. Not much shield. I mean, at one point, there's no shield action, but there's a full action sequence. It's like, this is amazing, man. Yeah. The Fury car chase is brilliant. The, oh, God, the bit on the whole, freeway. Sitwell's death is fantastic. Yeah, because it's so abrupt. Yeah. <laughs> Gets thrown, crushed by a truck. Crushed by a truck. Just oh, boom. Gone. Um, but, you know, um, Scarlett Johansson, it is safe to say, my God. Just my God. Um, has nailed the role. I was a bit worried. As I was watching the film, I noticed that Natasha, in these movies, the only film where she seemed straight up like the Black Widow to me so far um, was Avengers. Iron Man 2, she was, but she was a bit more eye candy in terms of the way she was handled. Yeah. I think Favreau got a bit too carried away with the, let's have her take her pants off in the back of the car stuff. Um, Did he do Iron Man 2? Yeah, he directed that one too, yeah. Oh, crap, because that's when he decided, I'm not going to direct these anymore. So he was like, I think I've done my piece. So I'm going to go over here and be in every superhero franchise ever. And he, he produces them now as he's well. He's Happy so. Hogan and he's Foggy Nelson. <laughs> he's a oh, greedy God. little fucker. <laughs> That Rebecca remains one of them. She was Mystique, and she was the uh, oh god, she was the love interest in the Thomas Jane Punisher movie. Um, god, who else? Chris Evans, Human Torch, Mr. Fantastic, uh, Captain, Captain America. My god, which has really <laughs> kind of brought him up to the next level of acting. Oh like god, America. watch those two performances back to back. Like, like he, he, he nails Johnny. Dude. He is Johnny Storm. He's like, he nails it. Yeah, but a lot of people are like, oh, he's just playing the kind of douchey, handsome young guy, and it's like, but. That's Johnny That's Storm, the role. guys. So he, so saying one is more Oscar worthy than another. It's like no, no, he nailed that role. He also gets the only good line in all the Fantastic Four movies, which is a bit where he looks at the thing for the first time, Ben, and looks at his face and he goes, 
Where are your ears? <laughs> do, you know, do you know what I love? It's a real, it's not a very clever line, but yeah. I think the way he pitches it for me, sells it, is when she goes, you're hot. And he goes, thank you. <laughs> just the way, without, he doesn't, doesn't miss oh, a beat. <laughs> like, and again, it's like, oh, what a douchebag. It's like, no, no, he, that, that's meant, that's on purpose. <laughs> that's not because he's a bad actor or he's a douchebag. That's on purpose. That's, that's a conscious decision. That's the role. And he, he, yeah. he, he played it beautifully. And he played Cat, he plays Cat beautifully. Now, obviously, in our most recent video, um, and we've still got one coming up, it's just been a nightmare to try and edit, talking about superhero movies that have been hit, mits, hits, misses, and, and maybes. Everything in between. And everything betwixt it. Oh, madam. But, what we mentioned in our first video over on YouTube, go and subscribe, god damn it. Uh, we talked about how Captain America 3 is now going up against Man of Steel 2. And how Warner Brothers are clearly like, yeah, whatever, we're going to take this, it's fine, you know, people are going to want it. Now, undeniably, you tell people that Batman the Superman movie, the first live action one ever, is going to be out. A lot of people, casual cinema goers or people who just want a night out, are going to go and see that. But I can see why Marvel aren't budging with Cap being on the same day, Cap 3, because this was strong. And they are clearly banking on an audience of people who just want a good, entertaining movie to come and see it. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, they're so confident in their belief, and they have every right to be. It's just amazing. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm so pleased with how the second one turned out. And, and you can see... Why it works. Here's what DC needs to take note of, actually. Captain America, in the film, as the way Chris Evans plays him, the way he's scripted, same in the Avengers, he's played completely sincere. He is truth, justice, in the American way. They don't let up on his morals at all. Oh, God, At no, no point does he sell his soul. There's no compromise, there's no bit where he... I mean, put it this way, he was in World War Two, so he gets dirty, he gets down and dirty when it comes to fighting. There's that amazing moment, watched it with Lucy in the cinema, and there's that incredible moment when he's taking out all the armed guys on the ship when he first lands on it yeah. in the opening set piece well second opening set piece on your left that was the first one um, which is amazing uh, I love the way it opened as well it opened with a daft gag it didn't open yeah. with an action the action came next it's brilliant um, but yeah and that bit it's when he gets the second group of guys and they turn around they see him he knocks one to the side of the shield and he kicks the other one just a kick to the chest so hard that the guy flies back, dents the side of the rail and flips over it. It's like, oh yeah, Captain America's really strong. Yeah. <laughs> like, just what, to remind I'm, you. I'm glad you brought it up because I noticed <laughs> that when he was doing his hand-to-hand fighting, like, a lot of the time you could tell he was sort of checking his strength, thinking, let's not kill these people in one yeah. punch. But there's certain points where he lets loose with a bit more power, like that moment, and you're like, no, yeah, you're right. Like, this guy could last a small number of time in an arm wrestle with the Hulk. Yeah, he, he, he can probably, hold his own for a little bit. I, I kind of want to see Cap you know, versus Hulk like, now. Yeah. I, I mean, we got to see Thor versus Hulk in Avengers, and that was amazing. Yeah. But I'd like to see Cap versus Hulk. I think that would be pretty special. I, I think we forget that Cap is <clears throat> is as strong as, as he is. I think it's he, not something that's he's human potential completely unlocked. Like yeah. that, and that's that's pretty damn strong. Uh, and I mean, obviously, the opening sequence with him running like shows off a bit of that. Yeah, that was that was that was. Fucking hilarious. That was so good. He's just running circles around um, Sam Wilson. Let, in fact, do you know what? Let's move on to him real quick. I was going to say, let's let's hit on Imaki up because he, in this film, is awesome. I, it's He rounds off this perfect trio of protagonists because it's Black Widow and Cap for most of the movie until sort of the, I'd say maybe the middle of the second act and that's when the Falcons are brought into it as a, as a, a main part. And he's brilliant, anti Mackie. Like he's been, a, he's been a great ambassador for the film as well. The way he's been talking about it enthusiastically, he keeps saying like, "Hey, Joss, if you got any room for a flying guy in your next Avengers? Give me a call, man." It's like, "Oh yeah, Joss, I think you should pick up that phone, Mister Whedon. It'd be fun, even if it's just at least get his character just, back in another Marvel film. Even like if it's just a set piece, like yeah. do you know what I mean? Like hell, like, while you're we, at it, we, we need some backup. You know who to call. And hell, while you're at it, get War Machine and the Warriors 3 in there somewhere, just showing up at some oh, point. Oh, they've got him. That'd be amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's not like you can't afford it, for God's sake. Um, but, you know, that, especially with X-Men Days of Future Past, chucking in that many characters. Like, these guys could chuck in more characters. Oh, it be a long day of nothing. But, um, for me, anyway. Um, oh, computer's been a bit weird. Yeah, they are. Uh, we, almost, recording. we almost lost you all there for a second. That was, uh, that was kind of scary. Uh, he nails this role, though, in the day. He he's, has the, he has the perfect blend of... He has sort of 
Cap's sort of veteran experience of war and almost becoming disillusioned with the whole notion. But at the same time, once it comes down to it, he will kick ass and he will do what he needs to do. And that's the point. He has the morals, but when it, when he has to toe the line, he will do. Um, one thing that I felt a little bit uneasy about, but as but the more I've thought about it, I've enjoyed. Now, when he reveals, when he becomes the Falcon, so to speak, when we find What's out, up, we're buggable, okay? <laughs> sorry, uh, thanks to Ralph Garman. That's I hoped he was going to be seventies uh, racist at yeah. that point. Um, I when it when we when we found out he already had the wings. That's what the military were using. And he, he already is the Falcon. We just yeah. don't know it yet. Yes. Well, at first, at yeah. first, I was like, oh, no, because I like the idea of them making it specifically for him. But then I was like, no, no, this makes sense. He's already trained in how to use them. He was part of... He, he never specified... He always specified... He always said he was a paratrooper. He was a soldier. He, he never said, said... He said he flew. Yeah. Yeah, he, yeah. He, You know... Because that was the nice piece. I thought you said you were a pilot. And he said, I never said I was a pilot. And yeah. it's like... He's oh. like, I, I was in the paras. I didn't yeah. use a parachute and I didn't... I didn't fly a <laughs> helicopter or a plane. Um, and also, the more I think of it, it's like, yeah, like, the Avengers can't be... They can't be responsible for every awesome thing in these films. They need to be in a world of awesome things. Like, they didn't make the helicarrier. S.H.I.E.L.D. had that for, for years before. So in this case, they didn't make the Falcon. That was an existing thing. They're just going to take the, the, this last bit of equipment that exists, this last bit of tech, yeah. and they're going to use that and turn this man into... They're going to basically unlock his potential. As a, as a force in this world, which look, is what I love. I love about that. Little fact about the wings. He's clearly been doing that for a few years, because if you look real carefully, I, found, I was scrolling on IMDb before for the trivia, and I, when I found this out, I was like, that makes total sense. If you look carefully at the pack, there is a Stark Industries logo on it. Oh, so this is war tech that was being developed by Stark Industries, I'm imagining pre the first Iron Man. Yeah. So he's had a few years with this pack, like getting used yeah. to it, which is brilliant. Like, I, I love the idea that he is that filled in. And that's what that was the thing. You didn't need an origin so much with this version of the yeah, Falcon. Like, no, no, no he, he was a top military guy. Oh, great, okay. He knows yeah. with the Paras. We know he's recently come out of service and he's a bit, you know, sort of like relieved to be um, kind of enjoying a break now. But he's desperate to help if he can. And then as soon as Cap comes... Oh, well, that's what he says. He says I like, think he becomes a man of purpose says, again. That's the thing. He says, like, uh, like it's going to be dangerous. And he went... Captain America needs me. Of course I'm going to help out. It's like... And do you know what? That sums up his attitude towards being in this film and doing this role overall because it's like, this is a a massive opportunity. I can be part of this big thing. Why would I say no? Why would I not do this? I will actively seek this out. Exactly. It's a perfect sort of metaphor for for him as an actor in this role and in this franchise as his character goes through the same thing. I want to mention as well, because she's been overlooked in a lot of things I've read online and stuff, Colby Smulders returns as Maria Hill. She does. And she nails it. Again, she doesn't... She's not a huge game changer until she, she, she's not, the very end. She's not in the... Her role's not the same capacity as it was in, say, The Avengers, yeah. where she is a main player. But um, she, she, but she does what world. she needs to do, and, and she does it perfectly. I think she's a really underrated actress, especially in regards to these films. Oh, I mean, it's great to have her there. And like you say, it just for me, the best part about having Maria Hill in the movie and Kobe, again, bringing A-game, was the fact that it builds the worlds. Yeah. Like, it, it reaffirms to you that, yeah, just because we're in the solo stories right now doesn't mean all that stuff that you paid attention to in the Avengers was for nothing. Yeah, it's they, all they've still a roster happening. within their world of people that they can call upon. They, they can they can roll call and it's like, shit, we've got a lot of allies. When push comes to shove, there's someone for each role. Someone can get involved. And it's good for the films overall because it's like, if, for example, a writer or director's a bit like, you know, oh, this, we want to do this thing, but the story's slowing a little bit. We're using the same characters over again and again. It's like, no, no, there's other people you can throw in there for the sake of throwing in if it comes to it. You can bring other people in just, yeah. to, just to sort of spice it up. Well, again, like the inclusion of Senator Stern... Uh, turning it's out a nice he's a, back to another film. Yeah, what? I mean, he's a high, he's a representative of Hydra. He's within the government, and it means now that when you go back and watch Iron Man two, and I, I believe there are some people who actively um, choose to rewatch Iron Man two, which um, we like. To. There's our story. There's we got it out of the way. There was our slagging off Iron Man two joke. We actually quite enjoy it. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. I can I can watch that it's again better than watching uh, the first Iron Man film. Do you know what? I agree. And I'll tell you for why. The first time I've filmed is a character piece and it feels like a full course meal when you come out the back of it. Like, it's really enjoyable. It doesn't 
We have to sit there and really focus. Yeah, it doesn't work as a repeat viewing. That's that's not to say that it loses anything on repeat viewing. It doesn't. You you can't watch it as often. You have to. If you watch films, I I could rewatch that again, no problem. But I'd rather give it a while. You wouldn't watch Clockwork Orange on a loop. Like, (laughs) do you know what I mean? Um, You would if you wanted to kill people and go crazy. Well, or or you just really like milk. But it's just you know, this isn't. If you like milk, milk, opera, and violence. Milk and wires holding your eyes open. Like, and um, rape. You've got to be a big fan of rape. Yeah, yeah. A really creepy uh, combination of rape and singing in the rain. You know what? Think about it. I could watch this on loop, but I am on one. <laughs> I would have to give it a while. And that, that, like you say, that's not a criticism of the film. It's just a different type of film. This, this room, yeah. this room in your cinema palette for anything. You know. This room there's, room for... my, there's room in any of my palettes for anything. Look at me, <laughs> Christ. I mean, The Expendables <laughs> is not the most intelligent film. It's about being a big guy, shooting guns, and having status. Great. That's not a bad film. But that is just as good as any Oscar-worthy performance in any other film. It's just when, when, it's when you're in the mood totally for that... It's a different context. Yeah, when yeah. you're in the mood for that, go for it. And again, it's exactly the same thing as, as anything else. There's room for that there. Um, but... But do you well, want... well, there's, there's a great example for you, though. In terms of like the Oscars, the superhero movies never get recognition beyond sort of better visual effects. Yeah. Uh, and then, even then, they never get it. Um, but which are the ones that people are raving about and seeing with their families and having a good time at? Those movies. Exactly. And you, you said yourself as well, for this, Chris Evans must be in a nod at least for an Oscar because his scene, particularly with Peggy Carter. Oh, dude, you're breaking my fart. Like, seriously, that. <laughs> Right, so, uh, you, I've got to talk about this scene. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> right, the Peggy Carter scene. Uh, from what I can tell, these were the scenes that were scripted for the Avengers. Um, the, the museum scene and the Peggy Carter scene. Um, now, obviously, they weren't shot for the Avengers. I thought they were for some reason, but I think it's because they had a brain fart. Uh, they obviously weren't shot for the Avengers because then they would have been on deleted scenes. Even if they had intended to use them, I imagine they would have reshot them for the purpose. But, point is, long story short... When he goes to see Peggy, Peggy does not have an unnecessary... And this is something I appreciate. She doesn't have an unnecessary dramatic death scene or anything like that. Because normally in these scenarios, they do things where it's like, he goes to see her and she dies on a... Like, she passes away and it's like, oh, oh, oh how God. convenient for the plot. Oh, yeah. no. Yeah, like, like that'd be the thing that makes him go, oh, there's no hope anymore or whatever. Yeah, not in this case. In this case, it's one scene. However, Peggy Carter left years ago. So she's old... She's married since... I think... Had she married Dum Dum Dugan? Or am I dreaming? She mentions who she married, but I can't remember who it is. I don't think it's Dum Dum Dugan, but I'm sure she mentions someone from J-Bow. <laughs> Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> I ain't kissing you. I'm kissing her. <laughs> it's like, fair enough. Oh, you fugitive. That's a terrible joke. The point is, um, I dug the shit out of the fact that Peggy was alive. I love the fact that Steve wasn't, to her anyway, mourning the loss of what they had um, and the life they could have shared. To her, to her, to her, directly to Peggy, he was there as a friend. He was there to make her feel comfortable and spend time with her while she's very sick. That is very Steve Rogers. And of course, because they, they mention that this takes place two years after the Avengers. Yeah. So they, he, they, they, they give it a little sort of time stamp. Yeah. And it's like, as the films come out, it's like, this is real time since The Avengers, which is another thing I like. Yeah. Uh, although, and I also like the fact that because of Batrock the Leaper and stuff, we get the sense that in this movie universe, unlike the DC movie universes, the supervillains don't just come once every two or three years. Yeah. Like, like, the heroes have something to do with the this time. Movie films, yeah. Yeah, because that's the one thing I hate about this movie. It's like, Spider-Man 2 takes place two years after Spider-Man. It's like, you're telling me that in that time, he's only fought the Green Goblin... And he's only just fighting Ark. Like, come on. Have some goddamn adventures, Spider-Man. Fight some bad guys. These films sort of reaffirm that this stuff happens all the time. And I really like that. But what I liked the most about the Peggy Carter sequence was the fact that he's clearly been visiting her for two years. And they heavily imply, slash pretty much spell out, (gasps) that Peggy is suffering, amongst other things, from severe Alzheimer's. Oh, she full on is. There's no hint. Yeah. She is. She forgets who he is in she, front of us. She like. right, right there. She sort of he turns away for a second to like get something off the cabinet or whatever, and he turns back and she looks as though she's just seen him for the first time in years, and it's like, oh god. Now that was the bit that got 
Lucy tearing up, and you mentioned that I, was the bit I that was, really hit you. I was the same, yeah. <clears throat> it's just, it's just like, oh god. And that the, actually... way, the way Chris Evans performs in that as well, he nails it. Oh god! But the thing is, I actually, I don't know if this comes from having sort of a history of Alzheimer's and the family and stuff, and um, sort of lost my grandpa last year. Um, this is going to sound really weird, spiritual. We lost him physically last year. I think we lost him years ago. No, because no, of no. he just he hasn't been. He wasn't there. For a very long time, he we was he was gone, so it kind of warmed my heart a little to see that despite this, Steve still visits her, because yeah. for those moments where it's gonna be hard for him as well. Going oh through god, that. yeah. But for those moments where she's still there, he's there for her, and that was very sweet. Like even though he knows that they're never gonna really be able to be friends and stuff because of you know a. Uh, uh, um, increasingly worsening health. Yeah, and they're pretty much going to have the same conversation every week yeah. about how depressingly awful it is that mm. their their potential romance and life together was stolen away. And it turns out now, for no reason, because, for Hydra, is, yeah. because Hydra has practically won. That's heartbreaking. And even somewhere now, I'm actually filling up a bit because it's like, that is a genuinely touching and very very sad story it's really upset but the bit it really grounds his character as well it really grounds steve rogers in like he's a hero but he has real world problems because like you say people are touched by this kind of problem even the superheroes i think i think dc really do need to take notes when it comes to their flagship guy when it comes to superman they need to realize it doesn't take destroying a city to make your compassionate character compelling it's Letting them be the character that sustained them this whole time. Yeah. The fact that in that moment, Steve is incredibly human. Well, I mean, that's still a very brave thing to do, to be able to face that every day or whenever it is he sees, how often he sees Peggy. To be able to face it all the time. Mm. To go through that emotional turmoil just so that for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, it makes her happy. That is, I mean, that is, it's beautiful storytelling. The bit that kicks me in the stomach <laughs> In that sequence, is at the very end when after she sort of started to go back to forgetting and, and then sees him and hmm. uh, and it sets her off. Um, he says, uh, "He says like, how can I forget my favorite girl when she still owes me a dance?" Not only does that line immediately take you back to their last shared words in Captain America, which is pretty heartbreaking already. Not only does it make you realise that he has, um, what do you call it? He to him, she's still the person he he loves because she was yeah. two years ago to him is when they last saw each other. <clears throat> so it's that entire lifetime of missed opportunity gone in that one sentence because you realise that that thing that he owed, that thing that you know that occurred, it's never going to happen. Yeah, they're never going to have the dance. They're, ne- they're never. It's something as simple as that act. They're never going to share that dance. He's never going like to take say, her out. For lack of a better phrase, it's still quite a fresh wound for him. Mm. Like it was only a couple of years ago. To her, it was a lifetime ago, which is just as sad. But for him, this just happened. Yeah, he's still new to the world because for a long time he was a capsicle. Yeah, I love that. So, phrase. I love the fact that sort of become the standard description yeah. of Captain America in Ice. But yeah, it's it it's it cuts, man. It really cuts, the, and it's beautifully performed because he's sort of holding her hand at this point. And after he says it, um, how can I forget my favorite girl when she still has me a dance? There is half a second shot, if that, where Evans's face doesn't quite fall, but he falters. Just ever so slightly. You see a little hint of weakness and a bit of hint of, of sadness to him. You realise that even though he's doing this to make her happy, it is killing him to do it. Yeah. I mean, that's just... I mean, it's, it's freaking brilliant. That's what Superman needs to take a note from. Do you know what I mean? Like, the compassion's there. Superman should be that little kid from Kansas who just wants to do right because his folks taught him that that's the right thing to do. And that is more than just... Henry Cavill's beautiful cheekbones, broodingly, you know, <laughs> being tensed up before a quick shot to Kevin Costner, pointlessly killing himself in the tornado. It's like, no, no, there's more to it than that. We need to see genuine humanity. And this is the thing, someone like Henry Cavill, Ben Affleck playing Batman in the future, whatever, these are people who we know can convey emotion. We know they can act. Mm. It's their job. They've done it for years. 
in the case of Ben Affleck, you know, not always to the best of his ability, but then <laughs> he's paid his bills for many years. And, and he was let bomb, him do that. He was the bomb in Phantoms, yo. Which exactly. I mean, obviously, it's like it's like let let your actors act, and that's <laughs> that's another thing that Marvel have done brilliantly overall. They've let the people, you know, you trust these people to play this role. Okay, let them do it. They haven't compromised the material either for the sake of all movie-going audiences. Like, the most compromise this movie makes, in terms of maybe sort of character portrayal, is Batrox made a bit more calculated. That's it. Every other character is pretty much... But you know what? It's not a bad thing. Basically, they make him believable and relevant. They 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 keep they, they keep they keep the ideal and some of the look in terms of the colouring of his costume. But oh, yeah, it's like yeah. no no this is a real world Batroc. This is what you'd be like if it was in yeah. the world now. But, but but that's the thing. Even even so, it's still Batroc the Leaper. Like they just made him physically look cooler. And and Marvel Marvel took Batroc the Leaper, put him in a film, and made him awesome. Like stick with your source material, guys. Like because like you're saying, keep the story human, but also in terms of just the production sense. To be able to just uh, directly adapt these characters and these scenarios and it make good entertainment should be proof enough to these other companies like Warner's that the reason people want to see movies these characters is because they want to see these characters, not because they want to see your hyper-realistic, gritty, urban, you know, like, gothic take on it. They just yeah. want to see these characters. Not everything has to be dark, as long <clears> as it's real. As long as, as long as we believe it and we buy into it, as long as you treat it seriously, that's darker than anything because that's when you get, like ourselves, the moment when you're welling up talking about a man who's was trapped in ice for 90-odd years yeah. sat chatting to an old woman who he used to love. And it's like, on the surface, it sounds fantastical and a bit daft. Mm. You watch it, you read it, you, you, delve, your, you, you delve into that and you get real emotion from a, from a real moment. Another that, human, the difference. another human thread in this movie for me, which which at first struck me as odd, and the more I thought about it, the more I appreciated it. Natasha's characterization, as I was saying before, she's the Black Widow in Avengers. She sought the Black Widow in Iron Man too, although a bit sort of sex sexualized. In this movie, she's Natasha Romanoff. Yeah, and <clears throat> that's kind of weird because Natasha shouldn't be talking about who he's going to date in the office. Or, you know, or, or about, um, was that the last, was that the first kiss you've had since the 40s and all this stuff? By the way, yeah, I was so relieved to find out, in a way relieved to find out that the onset photos of them kissing turned out to be part of a plot device. Not because, like, you know, the characters were just like, oh, we're the male and female protagonists, so we naturally have to get together. Yeah. Like, uh, but at the same time, I'd be totally cool with them hitting it off. But we we know that she's saving herself for Clint, so yeah. we should we should leave that for uh, for Avengers two. Clint, if they let Clint and his, after he was a dick. Clint and his new, oh he's back. Have you seen the onset photos of him with um, Aaron Taylor Johnson and Elizabeth Olsen? No. Hawkeye's got a new coat. <laughs> but I he looks kind of badass. Actually, he see, looks pretty cool. He's got a lot of making up to do because he was has got a new suit as well. Yeah, I've seen the cap suit actually. It's just like a darker, chunkier version. Again, that was looking a bit more bulky. Well, that was nice in this one. The fact that the World War Two suit is literally it's the same one used in the final sequence that made me so freaking happy because I love the Super Soldier suit. I thought it was amazing. <clears throat> the white stars like logo and everything is brilliant. But I, I like the fact that the World War Two outfit came out yeah. um, and gave us one of Stanley's best cameos ever. Oh yeah. <laughs> Oh man, I am so fired. It was like round of applause, ladies and gentlemen, for the ever, ever increasingly lovely Stanley and his brilliant portrayal of any cameo in the history of the world. One thing I want to quickly mention as well, by the way, it's kind of to do with relationships like we were talking about before, sort of like characterization. The genuine respect and bond between the Strike teams and Cap and Black Widow and those groups who've clearly been fighting together for a number of years now. Yeah. And have clearly been doing all these missions together. Now, they do turn on Cap and they do they do turn evil quite easily, but you definitely know the respect they have for this man. Oh, they shit, know yeah. how dangerous he is. I keep forgetting what his character name is in terms of his real name, but the guy who will become Crossbones. Yeah, Brock Rumlow, <clears throat> and he's played by Frank Grillo. Yeah, he was brilliant. And again, it's that thing of, he, he's the guy in the trailer, again, like, you should have watched this if you're listening, but he's the guy in the trailer, he's like, hey, did you, uh, do you have a parachute? No. No, he did not. Like, that's him. He clearly gives a damn about him. And I think he even said, he, he says that 
when it, when they're trying to assassinate him in the lift, he says like, "Steve, I just want you to know this is not personal." Um, and then there's that brilliant bit where Steve like shatters the the shack, the magnetic shackle, which is a very cool little random device for that scene as well. Yeah, beats the crap out of the guy and then says something like, um, "It is to me" or something like that. I was like, "Yes, get in, <laughs> like go on, Captain America, you badass." It's, it, that's another moment where this character should be cheesy because he should be just a typical jock soldier who's just turning evil because of blah, blah, and it's like, no, no, the actor there, they mm. let him act, he sells it. Yeah. You're like, no, no, I believe this guy. Yeah. I, I believe he respects and loves this man, but I also believe he genuinely wants to arrest and detain him. It was that beautiful blurred line, really, where they didn't just play it as, here are bad guys, here are good guys. Because Nick Fury, let's face it, if you're looking at it in terms of the black and white of it all, the you know, the, what makes a good guy, what makes a bad guy... Um, Nick Fury's a bad guy. He lies. He deceives. He um, fucking bugs Steve's apartment. Like he, you know, he's just he's he, Nick Fury is a piece of work, but he does it all for a genuinely noble reason. So he's a good guy, but he is in that in between space. Yeah. In Avengers, they're harvesting Hydra technology to weaponize for Shield. That is a bad thing, but he's doing it for a good reason. Um. Nick Fury needs these heroes to keep him in check. That's why when he comes back from the dead in this one, like, he hands the leadership over to Cap because he's like, your heart is in the right place here. Like, you're going to lead with your morality rather than with your fists. So, yeah. go on, Cap. You, you know, you, you take the lead. And <clears throat> I love that. I love the fact that Cap was in charge of everybody for that final sequence. Like, the plan was mapped out and everything. Did you notice, um... Oh, God, what's the guy from Dark Knight? The, uh... The guy playing one of the councilmen. Yeah, oh, God, is it Mr... Is it Mr... It's not Mr. Lau, is it? He, play, he plays Mr. Lau. Is that what he's always called in Dark, Dark Knight? Knight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, the moment he showed up, I was like, um... I know the squealers when I see him. And I started pointing at him. That was, that was, that was... I must say, that took me out of it for about ten seconds. I was like, oh, shit! <laughs> they coexist in the same universe. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and he's not—he's not arrested. Or, but actually, no. Hang on, he dies, doesn't he? Dark Knight. He's burned on top of the pile of money. Yeah, we never see him finally die, but he, he is on there when they. Well, we did in this. Spoiler alert! But yeah, um, Natasha Romanoff, uh, uh, her character—that was—I keep forgetting. She was a bit too casual, and then I realised it's because for two years she's been working alongside someone who she despite her work with the KGB, probably read upon as a kid and respected. Yeah. Like, she's working with a real-life living legend. That's going to loosen her up. She's going to be a little bit fangirly and a little bit comfortable around it. Yeah. The thing is, as well, she's the person who he can relate to most in that situation because she's a soldier-slash-spy. She is a military-trained... Um, you know, professional deadly person. Yeah. And that's what he became. Oh, she got to see me, professional deadly person. <laughs> <laughs> like, he, he's, she's someone who, just like when he meets the Falcon and they become good friends because the Falcon understands not only the military experience, but the disillusionment that you can get from losing the partner. Yeah. Knowing that he lost Bucky. Um, he has someone there who he can genuinely, he knows she at least sort of understands what I'm going through. Even yeah. if not fully. Yeah. She at least has an idea. She has similar experiences. Um, so it's someone who... I like that she's a little bit more human with him because they're on, the, they're on a similar level. Mm. They understand each other. Well, there's also the fact that she's on a morality quest. She's, as she said in The Avengers, she's got a lot of red in her ledger and she wants to make it right. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and that's why she's doing what she does with S.H.I.E.L.D. It becomes a job because it's a good job like in, in terms of so the I'm going to take what I do and do good things with it. Yeah, and that's what that was. What was nice at the end when she's up in front of the uh, the government, the sort of the council, the 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 court, as it were, where they sort of like, so no, we obviously realised we we're going to have to put you away for all this, and she went, "You're not going to," because regardless of everything I've done, I can do so much for you. Like I can do so much for you. No, I can do so much good for you, and if you want to arrest me, fine, but you know where I'll be when you need me. And it's like, damn, she really is here just to do good. Damn, girl. I like, I don't know if this was planned for this reason, but I like the fact that Black Widow is sort of written out of the franchise temporarily at the end of this movie. That she's going to go off and set herself straight. 
this leaves open chances for her to get solo outings, at least in one shots, if not a film. But not just that, a perfect chance for her in real life. Scarlett Johansson's have some time off with this baby that she's the got baby. on the way. I know she's shooting... Who beat me to this? She's I shooting... will kill him! <laughs> she's shooting for... We, we had a discussion about it the other day, actually. We were talking about the fact that she's not conventionally beautiful. As she, as Natasha Romanoff, yeah. Like when you see her in real life, like blonde lipstick, all that. When the premieres, which is done up, she's like she's got a bit of a Monroe kind of vibe. But when you see her in this, she's more sexy because she's just sex on legs. She's death on legs, and that's kind of like wow. I'm not going to mess with you. There's a power thing here. But I wish I could mess with you. <laughs> well, <laughs> to be, I'm not going. Do you know what? I'm not going to lie. I was full on. I I am very bisexual, Diane. I was full-on, like, confused in this movie. I was like, okay, Steve, Sam, and Natasha, which one? <laughs> because yeah. everyone is just freaking ripped, incredibly fit. It was just like, my God. And then I decided I'd put it in Nick Fury's eye socket. But he didn't have one! Ruined. <laughs> Ruined Ruined that fantasy. I just have to settle for Robert Redford. Um, so. Yeah, that's a good point as well. <laughs> I, I think my kind of final point about this film is that there's a lot of very beautiful people. There's a lot of guys with rip, with big arms yeah. and ripped abs and beautiful pecs. And there's a lot of very good looking people in main roles. But we still believe everyone. At the moment, yeah. there's a lot of films out there, a lot of TV series, where it's all about how beautiful and in good shape these people are. Hunger Games. More, yeah. These are the kids who have been randomly picked from their district to represent the district. And they're all hot as hell. They're all really fit. They're, yeah. They all look good in um, like skin tight training suits. And it's like... <coughs> never has it been more true recently in a film than this where you get such a diverse group of people who are all beautiful in various ways but we believe their characters it's not about how they look in terms of sex appeal that helps sell tickets let's not get us wrong Chris Evans' face will bring in many a fangirl to the film hell the, 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 the poster there, of Black Widow in yeah. a pose that is totally inhuman but yeah, shows exactly. off the curves but once you're in there, you see a you see a proper film. You don't just see a catwalk. You don't just see, you know, softcore porn, which it pretty much is for us. Um, oh God, yeah! We, I, I spent the whole film, film just fapping mentally. It was like, yeah, these films are now mainstream. These are things that we dreamed would happen about ten years ago, and now they're the thing. They're not the thing. Uh, he's got no ears. Uh, but <laughs> and, they're, and they're not the other thing because you know Kurt Russell. Uh, the point is the point is that the, these films don't rely on their good-looking stars. They don't rely on their special effects. And the wider world, they don't just rely on the comic book fans originally or yeah. the general cinema goer. They cater to everyone and they nail it. This film in particular, the two brothers, the two Russo brothers, and of course Joss Whedon directing the post-credit yeah. stings. They nail it. Everyone fires in all cylinders. And it's the same thing that I hope is going to translate into the finished product for Guardians. Yeah. Everyone loved to be a part of this. Everyone thoroughly enjoyed making this film. And that comes across because it is, even in its sad moments, you enjoy this film. Because even when it brings out tears to you, you enjoy the fact that watching this film about a man in a blue costume with wings on his head and a shield, <laughs> and, he was meant for, and he was in an ice block for 90-odd years... You still care and believe this character. Yeah. You totally emote for him. And even though he's like the peak human physically, you care about him not getting hurt. Yeah. And not going through pain. And you still <laughs> worry about him because he is human. It comes down to it. Everyone in this film is human. That's, that you've, you've summed it up perfectly there. Marvel are... God, I'm crying. They're telling brilliant stories with brilliant characters. They are not compromising... The, the the core and the moral centre of everybody for the sake of selling tickets. They're just saying, look, guys, we've got a story. We're really proud of it. We hope you enjoy it too. Because, my God, it is working. It is just... It's just I mean, granted, the, the only weak link in this Marvel Cinematic Universe chain so far... Again, we love it. We said before, it's Iron Man 2. Because Iron Man 2 was pushed out as quickly as possible to keep the interest going and tied over till Thor... It's not a bad movie. It's not the strongest one on the set, but it's not a bad movie. It almost suffers from the success <clears> of the others. It yeah. seems bad because we because the bar was raised so high. And it's like, do you know what? Sometimes we need a film that is just a bit of filler. Mm. As long as it stays true to the to the theme and to the morals of the other films. Yeah. Screw it. Dumb it down a little bit. As long as as long as it has <laughs> the right intention. Uh okay. Uh 
We're going to sort of wrap up a bit now. Um, There's one thing we need to quickly mention before the end as well. Oh, go for it, go Stephen for it. Stephen Strange. Now, that's what I was going to say. We're going to wrap up, but just let's, let's hit the Easter eggs hard and fast for the end. Yeah. Mention of Stephen Strange into, uh, 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 in, amongst people who could be a danger to Hydra. So, he's already out there as Doctor Strange. The Sorcerer Supreme already exists. Which gets me excited, because when we get a Doctor Strange movie, I'm hoping that they just balls to the wall, have a character like a Doctor Who companion, and Doctor Strange is like the Doctor. We have a character who brings us into his already existing world. We don't get the origin, we learn about the origin. But we just go in because, like the, like I think it's, I think you said like to me, Guardians like the Sorcerer's yeah. Apprentice as well. It needs to have that yes. kind of feel to it. Christ, it yeah, needs that to have is that a... so stupid. It's totally believable. <laughs> it's it's so nonsensical. How could it not be true? We're it needs about that the, vibe. What about the Nick Cage film, by the way? Not the not the Disney, um, the Mickey Mouse segment of Fantasia. We're on no, about no. the we're about the Nicolas Cage movie. But it should be like that. It should be an action pack magic and um, mystery film. That is for the family, and uh, but obviously this could be a bit darker, a little bit deeper in its ways. But Stephen Strange is already active. Speaking of already active, did you notice when all the maps, all the uh, the areas will be mapped out for potential people to be killed uh, by the the Zola algorithm? Freaking genius idea, by the way. Look at people's personal and financial history and use that to basically mathematically predict where they're going to go, where their resources will go. So Who is they, a threat they could to be evil. Kill. Tony Stark was on the list. When, when, yeah, uh, they targeted the you tower. Saw, you saw they? Avengers Tower, because it's not Stark Tower anymore, it's Avengers it's a Tower. There's a big old lay on the side. That rocked up, and his name immediately flashed upon the thing. So we know that Tony's a target. Very nicely done. Uh, and another, another really easy way to link it, similarly... President Ellis from Iron Man 3 yes. is referencing this in the library. Like, his is the quote that you yes. go to the exhibition in with. Oh, God, yeah. In, in a bit of meta-referencing, the scientist, one of the scientists that's there creating, turning Bucky into the Winter Soldier, um, is Ed Brubaker, the guy who came up with the Winter Soldier. Brilliant stuff. Like, Apparently, so good. He, he helped to the concept of this film as well with the story. He did a bit of... Kind of oh, yeah, no, I remember that. Yeah, like, it, like it, they handed him, like, the last draft and basically said... We is want, this cool? We want your ble- <laughs> yeah, we want your blessing. Kiss it. If is you, it good? <laughs> if you think we need to change something, let us know because you are the final say on this. It's your baby. And, like, apparently he was very pleased with it. I think he made, like, a couple of notes and they, they did it. Like, whatever it was, they did it. And it was like, oh, God bless them. They respect the source material. This is amazing. Oh, finally as well, post-credit stings. Boom team. Right, first yeah. let's talk about the post-post-credit scene. Bucky in the cap exhibit, which was a gorgeous scene in the film itself. Um, learning who he is. Learning about who he is. Amazing, because we are already... He's oh, he's... He, oh, Christ. Well, we know he is, because he mentioned the, like, was it six-picture deal? Yeah, something like crazy. That? Like, if he's not cap at some point... God, that... Oh, freaking hell, that bit where the Winter Soldier had the shield for a moment. Not the bit where he grabs it, which still gives me goosebumps, but the bit where he physically was holding it for a moment. It was like, shit, fuck, fuck, man. Fuck, 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 fuck. You're doing this on purpose, man. Just in the same way that Batrock, when he was fighting Cap, was kickboxing him. I was like, yeah. this is amazing! All these little subtle things. Um, but yeah. Uh, but the, the mid-credit sequence, which has sort of become the new post-credit sequence, really, hasn't it? Apart from Iron Man 3, I don't think Iron Man 3 had a mid-credit sequence, did it? No, I no, watched just, just the post one. Yeah, just a post one. Yeah, Iron Man Three is the weakest post-credit sequence of them all. It's a fun scene, but it adds nothing. That's to what the I like about it. Continuity, but but, yeah. but it wraps up the film because it, it, it yeah it, it, it bookends the movie like, and it bookends the Iron Man series. Yeah, yeah, because it's like oh, this is why Tony Stark's narrating because he's talking to Banner, <laughs> who in the in the Avengers he's like come over sometime, you'll have a blast, and it's like yes, bro, man, <laughs> science bros. <laughs> Which is the name of the second Avengers Assemble um, graphic novel, the uh, the the current uh, Avengers Assemble Marvel book, the one yeah. that's based on the film roster but set in the main continuity. Uh, the second book's called Science Bros. Brilliant. Um, I read the first one. Then the first book really awful. So I'm hoping to have the second book is much better. <laughs> um, the post credits, the mid credit sequence. Uh, which is the new post-credit sequence? Very obviously directed by Whedon, as you pointed oh, out. God, yeah, His uh, signature one-shot, one-shot tracking shot that just follows the characters through the corridors is, and then turns that, around. That's almost more of a Marvel one-shot than most of the one-shots because this is literally this is one shot. We get a lot of Hydra are still alive and well. Uh, they are small. They are defeated. But like when the plan. Christ, when the Zola computer said that. Um, remove one head and two shall take its place. It was like, oh yes! Like 
Hydra, motherfucker! They literally mean it. You wipe out the biggest sect of Hydra, the biggest conspiracy they've ever had, and immediately the next one is ready to start up. So good. Baron Von Strucker. Yes, now. Not wearing any goofy costume just yet, but he had the monocle and the little beard. Goofy That's enough, good enough for me. but believable enough again. Put, nailed it. The nailed way it. And I'm looking it. forward to seeing how they tie him in with the with Avengers Age of Ultron. But not only that, what well, we know how he's going to do it, because they have um, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver locked up. And what I liked about it was, it was very, it was as weird as it sounds, it was very Simon and River. I feel like it's a, it's a Firefly carryover, like the whole siblings, uh, the sort of the secret abilities, the facility holding them against their yeah. will sort of thing. But that's not on. a bad thing. That's taking something that worked on the other oh, project yeah. and making it apply oh, to absolutely. this. One thing I'll say, I like <clears throat> Scarlet Witch looks full on crazy bitch. Mm. Scarlet Witch is a crazy bitch. I like the... <laughs> Scarlet, role, Scarlet Bitch. Kick-Ass kick himself, the man yes. himself, playing one of the versions of Quicksilver, where his original Kick-Ass buddy is playing the other Quicksilver in X-Men and looks awful. Or he looks like the Jar Jar Binks of that film. I really, um, really, really hope that when they do all the time travelling, reversing shenanigans at the end of Days of Future Past, it turns him. out that... Oh, no, well, no, it's just, it's just sort of everything gets rearranged and it's a bit vague, so that, essentially, these guys could be Magneto's kids still. Yeah. And because... Uh, that was weird when they started butting heads. We talked about it earlier last year, actually, in the pod. We were like, why do they have to be like this? Just like, cast the same guy and don't re- don't mention each that'd other. That'd be amazing. Yeah. That would be so good for them to just cast it. Or, fuck it, do they really need him in Days of Future Past? Like, there are a lot of characters in there. Yeah. They don't really need him. But at the same time, I was like, Josh, do you really need Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver in the Avengers? Like, let them be X-Men characters. But, but then seeing it... Since like, it, we yeah. know that they have a pivotal role, yeah. I like so how, he's got a story. I like how Quicksilver looks because he's really beefed up for this. He's very chunky, which I like. The on-set photos—it's like he's in a sport tracksuit that's fitted. Yeah. So, so it's like that's quite a cool take on the what, costume. The thing is, you look at Usain Bolt, like fastest runner in the world. He's not a skinny guy. He is a large, chunky, muscular guy. If you're a runner, there's, there's this myth that you know, if you're a runner, you're just going to be skinny, and it's like no, no. Like, if, if you're a fast runner like them, you're going to be a big, muscular guy. And I like how Quicksilver looks that way. Because it's like, if he's going to be running faster than anyone else, he's going to he's gonna have some big arms on him and some big legs. Like, I like that. Yours um, going to be hench, yo. And like I say, Scarlet, which as well, does look like a crazy bitch. It's like, yes. yeah, I'm down for that. She looks so cool. I'm, I'm so um, eager to see what he's going to do with them. Uh, and I like the fact that they were referred to as miracles. Did the, mir- you the miracle that? twins. Is that what they referred to them as? I think? Yeah, yeah. He, he called them the twins, but then he said like it's the dawn of miracles, and I'm wondering Is if that that's a... Disney's incredibly clever way of doing mutant, of saying mutant without saying mutant exactly, because it's one of those weird scenarios where um, Fox owned the term mutant in that context, in the context of the Marvel way. Yeah. So Aaron Taylor Johnson. That's him. That's him. That handsome git. Beautiful git. Who we're going to see very soon in um, Godzilla as well. Yeah. Saw the trailer of that in 3D when I went to see Cap and it made me oh, really giddy. There he is. Silver hair, sort of fitted tracksuit, muscular as sin. Oh, I don't think I like that. <laughs> well, it was, it's not silver. When you um, when you see the closest, it's platinum blonde hair on yeah. the on the higher res photos. That's just because he's in daylight. But I think that was a conscious choice so that in highlighting it looks sort of white. Um, yeah, just, again, guys, if you haven't already had a look, have a quick look for the Avengers 2 uh, on-set photos so far. Just type it in Google, you'll get some. What looks like a stand-in for Ultron for some physical marks. <laughs> a dude in a tracksuit, tracksuit bottoms and with a, a duffel coat with a helmet over it. But Scarlet Witch looks awesome. I like the Quicksilver suit. It's not a superhero suit in the strictest sense. It's like a fitted tracksuit. And it looks really it's cool. It's function, not fashion, which makes sense. Yeah, but, but at the same time, has enough of a look to it to be superhero-y. Yeah. Um, Joss Whedon rocking he's about. He's big in this film, though. He's got, he's got really big for it. Oh, he's pumped up. That's the best picture of Hawkeye in existence. There's a picture of Hawkeye from above, spinning around. And it's just, it looks so cool. From a Hawkeye so cool. view. Uh, uh, and he's uh, about to kill Scarlet Witch. Yeah, well, <laughs> uh, they're fighting off imaginary foes. Ah. Say imaginary foes, like they'll obviously be put in later. I'm basically, if if Cat is anything to go by, these films are going to get better and better. I had a slight worries that the 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 demand for these films and the quality of them will wane slightly over the years. If it's going to happen, it doesn't look like it's going to be anytime soon. 
Christ, even an average one of these movies would still not be insulting. And it's the Iron Man 2 syndrome. It's like, yeah. a lot of people are like, I didn't really enjoy that. And it's like, yeah, but was it a bad film? Uh, exactly. No, it wasn't. It just wasn't <laughs> as good as it could have been or as the others. That doesn't mean it's a bad film. I'm so psyched, man. So, Captain America, I, on Twitter, gave it a hearty 9 out of 10. The reason for the missing one was simply because, if you rate that thing 10, it's on Avengers level. It wasn't quite there, but it was damn close. It was so damn close. And also, I, I, as positive a rating as I can give it, because I just want to see these characters again. I want to see Cap and Widow and Falcon again getting up to shenanigans. I want to see where they're going to take the Winter Soldier. I, I, I'm just, I'm, I want to see Crossbones Revenge. I, there is so much established here. Yeah. And here's hoping that they, they, they reign on high forever. Cause my God, Marvel, yeah. you're knocking it out of the park, guys. Definitely. Want to see more from us during the week? Head to YouTube, search up Temple of Nerd. We're also going to be doing a few bits and pieces on my YouTube channel, Chris is Snowy, which I shook the dust off of recently to talk about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles trailer reaction. Uh, long story short version of it, because you've, you know, spent the last hour and five minutes with us. Uh, looks all right. Um, still worried about it, though. That's basically my verdict. Um, it's starring William Fitchner as Eric Sachs, not Shredder, and Megan Fox as, as Megan not Fox. April O'Neil. Yeah, <laughs> basically, it's like, uh, and starring a turtle with human lips. Um, but yeah, and there's that. Uh, long story short, our feelings on... Uh, oh Christ what was the big bit of comic book news that dropped this week comic book film news oh there was some or other I can't remember uh, whatever it was we have an opinion so uh, head <laughs> over to YouTube check us out uh, if you're not subscribed to this feed already subscribe to it uh, and also follow us on Twitter at Mr. Loose Ryan and at official official at the at official CDJ Mr. Loose Ryan official CDJ you're all fit apart from that guy in the back but you know what there's it's, 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 we're, we're all we're all fit in the dark. Lewis the Leaper. <laughs> Seriously though, get that purple and gold coat and you're showing. Well done. Good work. Good work, sir. We're rambling. Bye! Ramblers. <laughs>